Feels so good. Out here in Mountain, it's a real good morning. I bet these birds gobble probably right. close to a hundred times. Tater rocking season, boys. All right, everybody, welcome back to the Strut South Podcast. I'm your host, Ryan Greathouse. Today, we've got a great episode. We're going to be talking to Jake Bush. And he is he, he knows his stuff when it comes to hunting uh, public land. He's really put forth a lot of effort. Um, he's actually doing something pretty uh pretty bold and uh i think he he like quit his main job that he had and moved from new york to ohio he moved to ohio just because mainly that's he can be more centralized in the country and he he's like right in the middle of all the different states he wants to hunt and uh i think that's pretty awesome so we talked to him about that, you know, hunting Ohio, hunting New York, and we talk about the big buck. He just shot a giant buck this year. So we talked to him about that, but it was really cool to get Jake on here because um, Jake's just another one of those guys. He loves hunting just like we do. Um, he's not anybody famous. He's not, you know, on TV or none of this stuff, but he's he's just a hunter and a killer, and everybody knows that's kind of what we wanted this podcast to be when i made when i started this thing i wanted folks to get on here that you know somebody may not know because there's guys out there's guys and gals out there you know that are killing giant bucks that nobody knows about and there's folks out there killing turkeys you know killing a pile of turkeys you know that nobody knows about and at the end of the day you know every every region every state um folks from all different walks of life you know there's there's hunters in there that they're they're pretty hardcore hunters and and they're killers and uh that's what i've always wanted this podcast to be and just want to help folks learn possibly learn something and if not learn anything at least hear good hunting talk um so hope you all enjoyed today's episode other than that um Y'all know what to do. If you haven't, go to YouTube, subscribe to our YouTube channel, um, subscribe to this podcast. If um, you're listening to us on iTunes, please leave a rating and a review. Really would like it if you left five stars. Um, if you're if you're on another platform for podcast and you can subscribe to our 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 podcast. Um, please subscribe if you can leave a rating and a review that would be awesome it really really helps us out and it helps everyone else out find the podcast um check us out on facebook instagram and again youtube um i'm really really hoping that we're going to start getting some footage real good footage on there because for me anyway especially me like i'm i'm really about to start hunting um, it's starting to get real good here as, as far as you know as far as the weather goes especially um, as I'm recording this intro it's just barely dipping down into the 40s and it ain't been that cold all year so I'm getting pretty pumped and um, so I'll quit rambling and we'll get into the show and let's get to it all right everybody we're back we got Jake Bush on the line what's up Jake hey how's it going Ryan and it's going good. Um, sitting here getting some rain, sitting on the back porch, ready to ready to have a podcast with you. Um, I know you said you were hunting up in New York before we were talking. Um, 
So what you got going on up there? Yes, sir. So uh, it's actually, I moved out of New York about three or four months ago. Um, and it's just a, a place up here that I've had scouted that I really wanted to hit this year early season. So I decided since my Ohio tags filled, I would, uh, I'd come up here and give it a shot. So I drove five hours today, got my tags and went out for a little sit tonight on a cattail marsh. Um, not a whole lot of activity going on, but I think over the next week I can get on some good sign and hopefully put another one down. Nice. Now, are you, um, are you hunting private or public? Nope, it's all public land for the most part. Awesome. Um, well, we'll get in. I guess we'll dive all into that here in a minute. But uh, before we do, actually, we'll go ahead and uh, I guess give a. If you had a sixty-second interview, you know, and let everybody know kind of who is Jake Bush. Yep. So, uh, my name is Jake Bush. I'm just a small time, small town guy from southwestern New York. I grew up here. I joined the service at 18, uh, moved out to Montana and did some elk hunting and things like that. Moved home and really got into whitetail hunting. I, uh, I bought a 30 acre little ranch with a home on it and got into the food plot game. And I, I almost kind of got, uh, just a little bit bored with hunting for a while and, I ended up finding the hunting public and the hunting beast and those guys that were out just running around on public land getting it done and watching their videos. I fell in love and I, uh, I decided that I wanted to do exactly what they were doing. So I, uh, I ended up just selling my house, quit my job and moving to Southern Ohio so I could be centrally located. And, uh, and then I've just been, you know, scouting pretty much 365 days a year and just trying to put myself in the best situation possible pretty much all public land anymore. Uh, I really like the challenge of it. And I think that, you know, being on a level playing field and being able to take down mature deer can, can really give you uh, a sense of satisfaction. So that's kind of my, uh, that's kind of my 60 second claim to fame now. Awesome. Well, first I, I want to, we'll get into something here in a second, but first I want to, what did you join when you joined the service? Where did you go? I was in the air force. Awesome. Oh, well, let me say, to start it off, thank you for your service. Um, I really appreciate that. Yeah, I appreciate that. that. I'm sure there's lots of other guys out there that they could, if they could come on here and talk, they, they'd thank you for your service as well. So, yep, thank you very much. There. I appreciate it. Um, Now, so you just went with the full, just the full scene, like just epic style, like just Sold the house, quit the job, and started hunting. <laughs> yep, it was, uh, you know, it kind of went out on a limb, but I just, the the end of last year, I kind of got into just this nomadic kind of solo beast style hunting that these guys were doing, and I saw more big bucks within the last week of season, and I just, I had more fun just running around on the ground and, you know, hanging a tree stand five to six feet off the ground on public land in a, in a swamp and seeing bigger deer than I've ever seen. So I just, I fell in love with it and I decided that I was at the point in my life where it was something I wanted to pursue and, uh, you know, might as well do it while you're young and get out there and, and see what you can make of yourself. Awesome. Yeah, that's awesome, man. Um, well, before we get any further to, in deer talk, I could tell this is probably going to be a pretty good one. Um, We'll go ahead and do our rapid fire. And All right, sounds good. I've, I've kind of stepped. I'm, I'm trying to step up my rapid fire questions. Um, trying to make them a little more, not necessarily difficult, but a little more interesting. Um, so hopefully, listeners out there, y'all enjoy the the future rapid fire questions. Um, all right, started off. Um, do you do you prefer morning or evening sits? Evening. Okay. <clears throat> All right. Um, what's one thing that you do every day that you couldn't go without? Uh, it would have to be aerial scouting for whitetail hunting. Awesome. Yep. Awesome. All right. Um, what's your favorite movie? That would be Fast and Furious 7. Oh, good. Good one. Um, 
see. If you could buy any food right now, what would it be? Uh, Lena's Pizza from my hometown. Oh, all right. Last one. Uh, hands down, number one breakfast that you can't live without. That would have to be Mountain Man breakfast. So you have sausage, egg, and cheese uh, all just cooked together on some tortillas up in the mountains, up in the Rockies, out cutting. Oh, man. That, yeah, that yep. sounds pretty good. <laughs> <laughs> now, now, what if you were to – what if instead of just regular sausage, what if you could do, like, deer sausage or – well, that's normally – we normally do, like, elk sausage up there. That was out in the Rockies in Montana. Oh, yeah. So, yes, sir, it was a good time. Oh, yeah. Yeah, that sounds like a blast. Um, so, <clears throat> now, you said you were uh, – you're from – originally from Ohio. I mean, no, uh, Ohio. Nope. You moved to Our, Ohio. Right, yep. right. Um, so, have you done much uh, – when since you moved there, have you done much hunting in Ohio? Uh, I actually, um, I've scouted all summer, scouted all spring down there, and did a lot of aerial scouting. I've hunted twice, two days in Ohio. Day one, I didn't see a deer, and day two, I killed my one eighty six and three eight twenty five point, which was last week. Hmm. Yeah, that <laughs> that's actually one of the things I did get wrote down because we definitely are gonna have to get the story on that buck and um i guess we could go ahead and do it now um that's that's a what was it a mainframe 10 i guess yes sir yeah it was mainframe 10 and then most of his kickers were coming off of his brow tines and around his bases yeah um but yeah he was just a, a giant buck man yeah he was he was gnarly looking too um so I guess, you know, kind of explain that hunt, I guess, and because uh, that'll be, you know, that'll probably be the picture that everybody's going to see for this episode. Okay. Yep. So I'm, uh, I'll am i take it back a little bit. So this all started with uh, with the idea of beast scouting, which I know I know some of those guys have done some, uh, some podcasts and a little bit of just like, I believe they had a scouting workshop down in Georgia last year. Um, so... The biggest thing for me is getting on aerial maps, you know, topographic maps on uh, Google Maps, anything like that, and just trying to locate the terrain features that I feel like a mature buck would be bedded on on public land. So what I normally do is I'll set out every public land, like for Ohio, for instance, within a 100-mile radius of where I live, which is Columbus. I'll go through every piece and pick out, you know, maybe the top 10 terrain features in every one of those. And then throughout the year, I'll actually put boots on the ground and go check out every one of those. Um, I've learned to, to make that craft a little bit easier by following certain details. Like in hill country, I try to stay to the top third of the ridges and look for signs. And military crests, leeward ridges, and um, basically just points coming off of those in general. In marshes, I try to stick to transition lines between either red brush dogwood, cattails, and pines, whatever the transitions are. And that's where your majority of your of your really good sign will be. So um, for the most part, when I got down to Ohio, I, I located all those spots, and then it turned into just boots on the ground. And I set 15 cameras out on public land for the most part. And, uh, you know, in places where I didn't see a lot of public access or hunter pressure, that was one of the things that I really looked for. So I tried to get remote or just an overlook spots. You know, I've got cameras within 50 yards of the road where I get pictures of 160-inch bucks on public land all the time. And uh, throughout the year, I've had pictures of probably, you know, five to eight bucks over 160 on camera. And I bet you I've had pictures of 30 bucks over 140. And it's just, I mean, Ohio is just something that I've never experienced. So I had a lot of target bucks going into the year. Um Opening day, I actually found a little piece of CRP land that's public, and it's surrounded by beans and corn. It just it sets up perfect. I've got a camera there, and I decided my first hunt would be there. Um, I hiked roughly three miles back through this access, went to the far corner of it where I believed a buck would be bedded, and struck out. I saw one doe, um, but it was pretty uneventful. It was 93 degrees out that day, so I do a, I do hang and hunt style too. You know, I go in with my stand on my back, my camera gear, my sticks, so. Hiking three miles with 40, 45 pounds of gear on, 
wears you down pretty good. So the next day, I didn't even go out. Yeah, it's, it's rough. Um, and <laughs> Wednesday came around, and same thing. It was really hot, but I had the the best win that I had up to that point in season. I believe it was the it was the third day I was able to hunt. I believe it was the fifth day of season. Um, and I had a 13 to 18 mile an hour wind coming from the southwest. Well, in all my scouting that I've done, a lot of the things I look for, are I try to find leeward ridges that run along private ag fields, you know, with a creek in between them or something like that. And I target those ridges because they have a very good food source. You know, they have a destination food source to go to at night. So right. three weeks before I killed that deer, I put boots on the ground in this spot. And I actually posted photos of the rubs I found on Instagram from this buck. I mean, they were just, these trees were about waist high, just shredded, just destroyed. I found his bed. I found, I actually kicked a really good buck out of that bed when I was in there. Um, and I knew that I wanted to target that bed at some point. Well, I got the right wind that day and I had it in at about 11 o'clock. It took me three and a half hours to get set up pretty much. You know, I took, it was, it wasn't as windy in the draw that I set up on that I thought it would be. So every time the wind would blow, I'd take a step and it took me forever to get back up in there. But the the place that I ended up sitting was a thermal hub down in the bottom of a big, of, of a congregation of ridges, pretty much. There's five ridges that met in this hub. And normally you wouldn't hunt those hubs, but with that really stiff wind, I was throwing milkweed the whole time in there. And instead of my thermals rising up the ridges to these bucks that are bedded overlooking that hub, the wind was strong enough to blow my scent back out across the creek. So I just kept going further and further, and I hit a really good scrape line. And I followed that scrape line. I checked one of my cameras, and I had pictures of bucks in daylight on the camera, but I got a direction that they were coming from. So I knew I had to continue, which would have been west, up this draw. I uh, I followed that scrape line up the draw a little bit further, which is why one of those things that I look for is hot sign. But So I followed this scrape line right to an oak tree a big white oak tree and underneath that there was just a huge scrape several rubs and it was right on the point of one of those ridges that happened to be leeward for the day so in my mind i told myself i believe that there's going to be the most mature buck in this area is going to be bedded right on the point of this ridge i uh i took another probably half hour 45 minutes to set my stand up real quietly i got up roughly three sticks high in a uh it was a big oak tree with three different three different trunks. So I had tons of cover, even though I was down at the bottom of the straw. And uh, I just got set up. And about a half hour later, I heard a stick crack off to my left coming down the ridge. And that buck stood up out of his bed. He came straight down the ridge about 70 yards. And at this point, he was in between the, the oak tree was in between him and I. He turned straight at me and started running full speed towards me. And, uh, that's when I picked up my binoculars and I actually got to look at this deer for the first time and I just, I lost it. I mean, I started, I started shaking like crazy. I knew he was a mainframe 10, but I could see this. Oh, you can only imagine I yeah, what I was like I in the stand. Um, so I thought he was going to run by me, to be honest. You know, he, he was running so fast. So I grabbed my bow real quick, spun my camera around and it all happened really fast. And he went to the oak tree and he, he just dead stopped and started eating acorns off the ground. And uh, he turns downhill a little bit. It was 28 yards, and he took about three steps. I drew back and uh, squeezed the trigger right where it should be, and he ducked quite a bit, so I hit him a little bit high, but I used Rage Tripens, and it just opened him right up. And uh, he ended up jumping across the creek, ran about 40 yards, and I heard him crash on the other side. It was just, it was, you know, it was 95 degrees out. It was... 3.30 in the afternoon. It was just everything you wouldn't expect from a four, five, six-year-old buck to do. And uh, it just goes to show you, though, you know, like I heard I actually had people that day tell me that tell me I was crazy for even going out. I was like, you know what? If I'm not out there, you know, if, if nothing else, you've got to be in the woods because anything could happen. A coyote could come by and, and bump a buck off a ridge. Anything could happen at any point. You know, if you have free time yeah. and you love hunting, you might as well be out there. That's uh yeah. that's kind of the that's kind of the beauty of public land too. You know, you can like for me, I'll pick forty spots that I believe a buck's bedded at, a mature buck, based on past sign and everything like that. And I'll hunt every one of those spots based on the wind and conditions really aggressive. 
So if I bump out a deer, it doesn't matter. I'll drive 100 miles the next day to a completely different piece of public and do the exact same thing again. Hmm. Yeah, man, that's that's, nice. that's pretty awesome. Um, it is kind of surprising that you got him that early, but kind of like you said, like, you know, you never know what could happen. I mean, who... And the way, you, you know, he described, do you think something, because the, the way he ran right to you, I mean, maybe something did spook him out of his bed. So, you never know. Yeah, and I, I considered it. Um, what I think was actually happening is there was, there was a couple other bucks with him I found out after. My buddy hunted that hub again the other day, and he checked my camera. And in between the time that I walked by and I shot that deer, I had another uh, immature buck, a two-and-a-half-year-old probably, 100, 110-inch buck walk past that camera that way. So I'm assuming that they came down off that ridge. You know, you get back in some of those ridges that just don't get accessed, and they feel a lot more comfortable to move, you know, 100 yards during daylight. And uh, I think a big part of that, too, is just pushing the envelope. You know, if you if you take your stand out and you sit two or 300 yards back from where you think they're bedded, you might, not, you might have never seen that deer. But the fact that I was within... 70 yards of where he was bedded just gave me the opportunity for him to get up and actually want to move a little bit, whether that was to go down to the bottom and grab a drink because it was so hot or whatever his thought process was. And, uh, and now normally he, that deer believed he was safe because normally he'd be on top and those thermals are rising. But with that stiff wind, the thermals were actually just off wind from him. So it, uh, it just, everything worked out perfect. You know, the stars aligned. Yeah. Man, that's that's just awesome. The just the the, the fact that you got it, like I, I still can't believe it was that early. Um, I mean, it's still it's not that surprising though. But um, they 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 do got a mind of their own, and they still gotta they still gotta eat, and they still gotta drink. Yep, um, exactly. And you know, it could be. It could have been the fact that he's never seen a person in that in that hub before. You know, if you right. most most hunters aren't going to access areas and and hike you know two miles over a bunch of ridges to go hunt, especially on public because you got to drag that deer out of there. So if you're willing to put your yeah. boots on the ground, I think that you can get in spots where they act just like private land. Yeah, yeah, I and uh you know as you, as you were talking about that and explaining you know where you were going and how far back you were going. And, you know, I watch um, hunting public a lot and hunting beast and um, watch all those guys. And they, that's their, probably their biggest thing. I mean, they, they get on deer, you know, close to the entrance of the access. Um, But most of the time you're pushing in there pretty deep. And um, I, I really think that that's kind of an issue here in my state, um, in Georgia. I don't know of, you know, other states like Alabama or anywhere else, but I know in, in Georgia, we've got tons of public land, but they're not, they're not huge chunks. Um, how, how big of a piece was that? Was that public? So that one was actually one of the smaller ones in the area. It was, it's still, it's 8,000 acres, but it does have like three roads that run through it. But I mean, there's, there's several corners of that public where you can go one to three miles boots on the ground and not cross the road. So it's, uh, it's yeah. pretty vast, you know, big steep ridges and stuff. So you can really get away from pressure pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. Well, I mean, that's kind of, and see, for me, like that's that's the biggest place that we have. I think the biggest one. Now, this isn't including like you've got some now, like up in North Georgia, like the national forests and stuff like that. They're they're you know tens and thousands of acres. But as far as just small pieces or just you know public the scattered, um, that's probably our biggest one. I think it's like nine thousand acres. But the rest of them are pretty small, you know, 100 acres here, 400 acres there, something like that. Yeah, I understand that. And I've uh, I've tried targeting some of those spots as well, you know, like the smaller ones. 
and you're right, there's definitely a lot more. It's a lot harder to find areas in those that don't have a bunch of hunter sign, and it seems like there isn't really a lot of overlooked land. Where those bigger tracks, you can find overlooked land a lot better, too. Right. And I think, especially that one that's, and I only say this this because those are the ones that are closest to where I live, um, but that 9,000-acre track, it's, the worst thing about it, I mean, it's, it is loaded. I know it's got plenty of deer and it's got tons of turkeys, but it's got so many roads on it. Like it's, it makes it real hard. I mean, it's got, just got roads going all the way through it pretty much. And, uh, I think that makes it a lot tougher. Oh yeah, for sure. But, um, so now you were talking about the marsh and stuff. Um, <clears throat> Do you do you know? I mean, I don't know. Kind of. I mean, we've got marshy land and you know swampy bottoms here. Um, is that is that kind of one of the main places you see the most bucks on? Yeah, I mean it definitely is. Um, especially if I can find, it seems like a cattail marsh. If I can find a, you know, I I hunt swamps as well but I don't seem to have the same success as a cattail marsh. And I think the reason for that is basically most of your sign is going to be set up along that transition. And so when you're scouting it, all that sign is just congregated right on the edge of that. And uh, I've definitely had the most success on on big mature deer and mature sign and just water in general, you know, whether it's swamps or, or marshes or anything like that, even, even oxbows and creeks seem to just be a huge draw for mature bucks yeah like and i think i think down here like it's like um you do get i I know up in like michigan and um maybe new york i don't know but i don't i know we don't have nowhere near like the the marshy you know swampy land i know michigan's like huge with marsh and stuff like that right yeah yeah michigan's got a lot of wetland um i would say the majority of it's actual swamp there seems like the i mean the biggest area that i know of for actual cattail marshes would be wisconsin up by like dan infall i mean that whole area is just littered with big cattail marshes and minnesota is as well hmm. yeah we and down here like we've got them i mean I found actually I found a spot the other day on my property. Well, I mean I'm known about it, but I put a camera in there for the first time, and I mean I've been hunting this place for you know maybe ten plus years, and it's a little bitty chunk of private land, and um, it's just real thick and marshy looking. Like it's not it's not really a swamp, and kind of what it is is. Uh, the property, the property owner that's beside us, he's got a, a big lake, and on our property there's a creek, so it's already a natural bottom there on our property, and where that guy's lake is, the the spillway, you know, from the dam, it it comes down into basically like a bowl where it meets our property, and. um it's basically that little that little bitty drainage from that lake. It basically creates like a natural funnel, and it it's just like in the perfect spot. Like it put it's just a thick, nasty, marshy looking bowl, and uh, I know that's where the deer bed. I mean, we've always we've always known that they bed there, and I've just put the put a camera on it maybe a couple of weeks ago and um i'm excited to see especially especially once it gets a little bit later on they more bucks actually start showing up i'm excited to see what that's going to look like oh yeah definitely now do you uh do you scout that in like the spring for for specific beds or do you not go that far in depth with it you just it's a bedding area in general yeah i mean we we pretty much know like it's kind of hard to it's actually really hard to get in there and scout it because it is so thick. Um, I mean, I don't know about, you know, Ohio or, um, Kentucky, maybe Kentucky. I know, I know there's 
fixed spots, you know, everywhere. But um, I've, I've heard from several guys, you know, they see footage and, you know, see the terrain from down here in the south. And it's, they're actually surprised at how thick it is. And so, yeah, we don't, I mean, it it just makes it really tough to get in there and actually walk through it and find beds. Yeah, that makes sense. But um, now I don't. Is it like hunting? How, how thick was? How thick is it usually? I mean, I know y'all got some pretty thick spots. Like, like say New York. Like, um, it, is there, there's some pretty thick stuff in New York, right? Yeah, I mean, so New York, the area I'm in, southwestern New York, so. The area that I have is, uh, is a, a lot of ag and we do get into the rolling timbered hills quite a bit. And, uh, those are pretty open for the most part. Lots of oak trees and stuff like that. But the big thing that I target is just water in general around this area because of pressure. And it seems like as soon as you put, you know, knee deep water in, into the equation, the hunters disappear. So I hunt every marsh I can find and the swamps I can find and they do get quite a bit thicker. Um, I do have a swamp in mine that is just absolutely nasty and there's some slammer bucks in there, but it's, it's tough to even walk through it. So I can kind of relate to what you're talking about a little bit. And, uh, I have seen videos of, of guys down in the Georgia area before and I think it's definitely thicker down there than anything I've ever dealt with. Yeah. It, and we, you know, what I was doing, I did a podcast with, um, who was it with? It was uh, with uh, Whitetail Legacy, and uh, they uh, <laughs> they were. That's what he was asking me was, you know, um, like when we when we put stands up, and you know, he's like, how do you how do you go about picking out trees? Because from what it looks, it's like it. You know, once you get up in a tree, it looks like you can only see like twenty yards max. <laughs> and uh, but I mean, that's that's really the way it is most of the time. If you're if you're in there with the deer, which I mean it's probably kind of the way it is in most most of everywhere, if if you think you're getting close to a bed, I mean it's gonna be thick, but uh, I think it it's pretty thick down here. Like you'll have maybe maybe two or three good windows to shoot if you're especially if you're in a tree, um, in some pretty thick timber. Yeah, yep, that makes sense. What do you think your max uh your max range with a bow out of one of those trees is? Twenty yards, fifteen yards? Mm. No, I would say more than that. I mean I would say there's it's it's not hard at all to get a thirty yard shot, even a forty yard shot. Um Okay, awesome. But but you uh, in most cases you're you're never gonna get, you know, past a forty yard shot. I mean, yeah, you can we do we do have like you know some pasture land or either you know whether it be kind of like just you know cow pasture or whether it be overgrown pasture I mean you can find spots like that at the edges of edges of those and you know it's pretty much endless shot but I mean it's pretty you can you can find spots especially if you it just I think down here it just takes uh, stand like trees tree selection is extremely important um because if you do get in the wrong tree down here like you then you will only have you know maybe 15 yard shot yeah yep that makes sense so do you um film any of your stuff or video any of your stuff yeah yep this is actually my first year filming um i did film my 25 point on camera kind of a funny story uh so I took all my gear in there, set everything up, and I was filming B-roll at the time because, you know, it was 3.30 in the afternoon. You're not expecting a buck to walk off a ridge. So yeah, I'm just yeah, filming, you know, the <laughs> exactly. So I'm filming the leaves and, you know, doing manual focus things and just trying to put a little bit of film together. That way, when I do make a video, I have more footage. And I had it in manual instead of automatic for my uh, focus. And when that buck came in, in the heat of the moment, it all happened so fast, I never turned it back to auto. So I have the kill on camera and everything, but it's a little bit blurry, and that's why I haven't posted it yet, because I'm just trying to figure out if there's a way to 
to make that less blurry or what the deal is. And it's, uh, yes, it's definitely a challenge. I knew it was going to be a challenge, but it's way more of a challenge than I ever thought it would be to self film, you know, just the gear weight going in there to making sure your stuff doesn't get rained on to setting up your camera arms, which are all steel, which I covered in stealth strips. But, um, you know, there's a lot more opportunity for mistakes and noise and, your camera arm can get in your way for a shot when you're self-filming or if you don't have it level, it'll swing instead of staying in place. You know, there's there's a lot of factors that go into that, but I think that if you can pull it off, it's just got to make that whole the whole uh, thing just that much better. I mean, it just it just gives you more gratification. Right. Um. Now, and I think it was, I guess it was a video from today. Did you hunt today? Yeah, yep, I did hunt today, and I that was all like mainly on my Instagram. I'll just I'll send out stories just off my cell phone, just to keep people yeah. updated and in the loop and everything like that. And then I do have my GoPro Seven and then my Sony with me as well, which are which are actually doing the recording. I got you. Um, yeah, and that's what I was gonna ask was you know what kind of camera that was. I didn't know if it was a DSLR. Or, um, yep. So uh, it's a it's a it's the Sony A Seven Three, which is the the mirrorless version of the DSLR, so it's a little bit lighter. It's a little bit quieter. It can uh, it can film for a little bit longer as well. And so with me, the big thing was obviously I wanted to have a camera that when I got closer to dark, it had the ability to still have decent lighting. And uh, a lot of your DSLRs, from what I know, from what I've done research on, kind of lose that ability after a while. And it seems like yeah. the A7 III holds on, you know, Right to shoot, right to the end of shooting light, which is when most of the, your mature bucks are going to come out and give you an opportunity. Yeah. Now, now I don't know. I'm not. I'm not that familiar with that camera. But um, do you have a uh, remote, like a remote for it? No, I wish I did. I think I can get one. Oh yeah. And being my first year, I mean, I'm just I'm trying to put this all together as far as filming goes and trying to learn as I go and figure out how to tune what I want out of it. But yeah, a, uh, a remote is definitely going to happen in the near future. And same thing with my GoPro. It'd be nice to have a remote for that because that's the one that I, t- I tend to hang on like a limb or on, you know, my strap for my tree stand or something like that. And it's kind of a pain to reach out and turn it on when I need it on. So yeah. uh, that's, that's definitely something I'm looking for in the future. Yeah. I'm, and that's what I would say, you know, uh, especially solo filming, um, that remote, man, it's, oh man, it's such a, it's such a lifesaver. Um, oh, I can imagine. Yeah, man, it's, especially, I mean, even, it's even more of a lifesaver for, you know, if you've got a camera like yours, and if it's not like a camcorder type camera and, um, like, because with yours, you know, if you want to zoom, you pretty much have to reach in front of it, right? I don't know how to. Yeah, I have to. I, I have to actually reach and twist my zoom. Yeah. And I, I believe there's a digital zoom setting on there. I, I haven't found it yet, but I was doing some research. And if there is, I think with that remote, you probably digitally zoom it as well, which right. it won't give you the best picture quality, but at least you can zoom in a little bit. Yeah. Yeah, I've got a... Uh... I've got a Sony AX33 and it's, it's basically like camcorder type and it's, um, it's a pretty great camera and that's what Sony, Sony's a pretty good, um, pretty much every model of a Sony. They're pretty good about having a remote somewhere out there that'll, that'll work with it. Um, okay. Yeah. That, that definitely helps out. But, uh, that I kind of wish the, the camera that I have, I kind of wish I had the, I, I bought, I got the AX33, I think last year, right around, right during the middle of deer season. And I, I kind of wish I would have bought the one, the upgraded one just up above that one because the one I've got now is like a, I think it's a 10 times optical zoom and the next one up is a 20 times optical zoom. So that makes a huge difference. Oh yeah, it definitely does. Especially, even more so probably with deer. I I had it in mind for turkeys, because I mean turkeys you're going to get them in pretty close every time anyway. So 
but when those deer, if that, if that deer say if I ever want to go hunting with my gun, if they're if they're out there pretty good ways, it, it might not pick them up as good. But um, but I noticed too, like you've got a lot of pretty sweet pictures on your uh, yeah. You get some pretty sweet pics. Yeah, I appreciate that, man. It's all uh, it's all with my tripod. You know, there's a couple that I've had people take here and there, but for the most part. It's all based off my tripod, and that was that was really my my biggest factor in picking a camera because, you know, for filming alone, I would have rather just spent the money and bought a really nice camcorder style like yours. You know, for, like, running gun, it helps out, or for even packability in a backpack, I think that you can pack it a little easier. Um, you know, you don't have to purchase all the lenses and stuff like that, but I really wanted to take some good photos as well, and, and so that was kind of... That was kind of like, oh, I can get the best of both worlds if I just buy a, you know, a seven three. Yeah, yeah. Now, it, it, and not just, you know, not just for you, but maybe for anybody out there that's listening that might want to um, get into filming their hunts. I think, I mean, they, there are cameras out there that you can go and buy for, you know, a couple hundred bucks. I mean, and if that's all you can afford, then I mean that's all you afford. It doesn't. It is what it is. But and they're they're pretty decent cameras. Um, like the uh, the Canon Vixias, um, they're pretty. You know they're pretty affordable. Like two, three hundred, four hundred bucks max. Um, oh yeah, hundred percent. And I mean I think yeah. You know if you there's there's two reasons why people record hunts and fishing and stuff like that. Reason one is they want to be content creators, and reason two is for the memories of it to show family and friends and all that. Right. You know, you don't right. need to go out and spend a ton of money for either of those. You can have some awesome content yeah. with a cheap camera. Nowadays, the cameras are also good. I mean, you're talking things that really don't matter when you get to the higher tier cameras. So you can have some good content if you're creative. And then the memory side of it, you can have amazing memories with with any camera you can buy out there. So. I think if people want to do it, they it's not all about the money game. You know, you can you can get into it cheap and and go out there and have fun, and that's the most important thing. Yeah, yeah, we did a podcast with uh, Caleb Copeland, and uh, he he owns his own production company, and he's done a lot of work with uh, Sub Seven. He, he worked for Sub Seven, and he he used to do, which he, I think he still does. I mean, he still films for lots of folks he's done he used to work um primarily with lee and tiffany Lukowski and he filmed all of their hunts and, oh awesome but he he knows his stuff when it comes to um videoing and production and all that and the, the biggest thing he he says you know and i mean it's pretty obvious you know but when you start like if you're wanting to get out and you want to video your hunts the biggest thing that you need to determine first before you even get a camera is you need to figure out what are you going to use that footage for. And if it's going to be for, you know, oh, I just want it for memories, then, yeah, maybe you can just go with something super affordable. Um, for YouTube or Facebook, if you're just putting videos on YouTube or Facebook, you still don't really need nothing that expensive maybe maybe something a little bit better a little bit bump up and upgrade you know but um really the only time you need something that's you know thousands of dollars is if you're videoing hunts that are going to go on you know the outdoor channel or you know hunts that are going on tv yeah exactly yeah i couldn't agree more so, yeah because especially youtube like youtube and facebook facebook's even worse like once you upload that footage, it doesn't matter what you record it with. Um, it's going to dumb down the, the quality a little bit. Um, oh, yeah. Facebook's really bad. I mean, that's... Yeah, Facebook's the worst. And and I'll say, I'll, I'll say this now because I don't know if a lot of people realize it or sometimes I find myself forgetting to do it, but... Um, if you're watching the video and the quality is really, really bad, a lot of, sometimes Facebook doesn't just automatically, you know, put the best quality on there. Sometimes you have to, sometimes you have to actually click on there, click on the little 
it's like three dots up in the top right, and you have to go on there and tell it what quality you want the video to be. Um, I find myself having to do that a lot. And uh, yeah, that's. I didn't. I didn't know that you could do that. That, that helps me out quite a bit, actually. Yeah, because I mean, I'll put <clears throat> I'll put videos of our stuff, you know, on Facebook, and as soon as I upload it, it looks horrible and i'm like oh my god you know <laughs> and i'm like ready to delete it and try to re-upload it but then you but you have to actually click once you go and click on it you know and you find that little options button in the video i guess and it, it you change the quality of the video so i don't know if a lot of people knew that but i hate that you have to do that it shouldn't it, it should be pretty simple Come yeah, you would think hard. so, but. <laughs> um, but yeah, the like the camera that I have, I mean, it's and it's still pretty pretty affordable. Um, no, it's not gonna it's not gonna be something like what you've got to where you can take really awesome looking photos. Um, it's just strictly for you know video, and but it's like I'd say right now you could probably get them for six hundred bucks. Maybe. Oh yeah, that's, find that's not bad at all. That. Um, but I do think I'm gonna I'm probably gonna swap out the one I got, or try to. I might, I might get the, might get the bump up, get the upgrade on it. But we'll just have to see about that. Now, do you do you mainly hunt private preset stands, or are you doing running gun as well? No, I mean I, I mainly hunt private. Um, I, I do hunt public a lot. I hunt public for turkeys way more than I hunt private for turkeys. Um, but as far as deer, I, and I've really been wanting to get into it. It's just, I don't know. I like the, the, the public that we have around here is just not, it doesn't look that appealing to me to, for me to want to go and walk, you know, two or three miles through the woods and look for deer. Yeah. Now I was what I what I was getting at is uh like packability of your camera that you have now. What do you what's your like go to to pack that in? Using a bag or Oh man, yeah, I can I mean I mean it's not super big. It's it's almost like a handy cam. Um, okay. I can just yep. put I just throw it right in my backpack. Um most of the time I try to have it out and I'm I'm holding it, but if I ever need to you know, if I've ever got my hands full and I'm carrying a bunch of stuff, I just throw it in my backpack. Sorry, yeah, that makes makes sense. <clears throat> the only thing I, I have to be careful with is my microphone. I've got a uh, one of the Rode mic. It's like a micro Rode mic, and um, I just try to, you know, situate it in my bag to where, you know, it doesn't knock that microphone all over the place. Yeah, yeah, see, for... For me, the DSLRs and the mirrorless cameras and all of those, they're, the packability is, is terrible, to be honest. I mean, it's it takes up so much room in my bag just because of the way that it's shaped, and then you want to be careful with your lens and, and all that stuff. But, yeah, it's it definitely – I was just curious how much easier it was to pack up, like, a handy cam or something like that. Yeah. I can imagine much easier. Yeah, I mean, it's not uh, – I mean, that's, it is kind of bulky. I mean, if I've got a lot of stuff in my bag, but – it's it's pretty rugged, like it's built pretty pretty rugged. Like it's not. That's what I love about the model that I have. The the finish on the outside is it's pretty rough. Like it's um it's almost like it's built with that that stuff that they put on the beds of the trucks, the spray in bed liners. Oh yeah, like a Rhino liner. Or yeah, that rubber like that. Yep. Um, it's, so it's pretty. It's a little rugged. Um, the the favorite thing that I love the most about that camera that I've got is it automatically, as soon as you turn it off, it automatically closes, puts a lens. It's got a built-in lens cover. As soon as you close it and it powers off, it shuts the lens, closes the lens up. So, oh, that would help out. Ever, yeah, my I don't ever my lens is exposed. <laughs> yeah, yeah, I find that's probably the biggest thing. You know. With especially like DSLR type cameras, is you really gotta check that lens. 
Yep. What I did is I ended up buying a uh, like a UV filter for the front of it too, so that screws on. And I can wipe that off with a sweatshirt or anything like that. That way my lens isn't actually getting all that, you know, all the grass and fog and everything else on it. Yeah. And, and another thing I'll say, too, you know, for anybody out there, the next the video, like video on it, quality, you know, quality is important. But the audio is just as important, maybe even more important than the quality of the video. Um, oh yeah, one hundred percent. I would I would suggest anybody you know if if you are going to do it, make sure you get make sure either one your camera does pick up audio really well and the audio is good, or you can get you a get you an external mic for your camera. Yep, I run the the Rogue as well or the Rode as well. Yeah, they're they're awesome. Yeah, so um, far I've been really happy. Yeah, I remember. I remember uh, me and uh, Peyton Crew. He's another. He's a member on the Strut South crew, and he. We were turkey hunting last spring, and uh, <laughs> we. He had his camera, and um, I had my camera. <clears throat> so I I set the camera up. You know, we get we get on a bird at daylight, and I put mine out. You know, and I set my tripod up, and I just let it record. I went up there to put a decoy out. Peyton was talking. You know, he was talking on his camera, giving an update, and uh, I'm like a good, I'd say maybe 15 yards, maybe 20 yards behind him, because I was filming him going to shoot, and uh, he's like whispering into his camera. I went back and watched the footage, and you could you could hear him whispering on my camera. Wow, <laughs> so, that's awesome. Yeah, it was it was pretty. <laughs> it picks up sound pretty good. <clears throat> um so kinda wanna we're we're going pretty good on time. We're 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 coming up on time here, but I wanna um kinda get more into this uh the public land hunting real quick before we get off. Um so from what it sounds like you've you've pretty much hunted several states. Um what what all states have you hunted? So I've hunted uh, a little bit of Indiana, I've hunted Montana, I've hunted New York, a little bit of Pennsylvania, and now Ohio. And this year I plan on, if God willing I fill my tag in New York this week, I plan on going to Indiana, and then depending on what happens there, I'd like to hit Missouri before the end of the year. Um, so, so pretty much bouncing all over the place. Awesome. So now... How do you, um, so what is your, what's your, I guess, your agenda for when you're looking for a piece or if you're trying to decide where you're going to hunt? So it, do you go it really depends. It really depends. Um, it, you know, time of year is a big thing. Obviously, if it's, if it's the rut, I'll pretty much stay out of the cattail marshes because from where I hunt anyways, what I've seen, and the videos I've watched of other people, they kind of dry up during the rut a little bit. And most of the deer move to the hills and the ridges and stuff like that. So um, the biggest thing for me right away is always going to be access. I want to try to find places where the public access and the hunter access is going to be discouraged for some reason, whether it's a really deep creek or river access. Um, you know, a real a half mile thicket of just dogwood that's almost possible to get to, you know, a leeward ridge that's two or three ridges deep where you have to go up and down for a couple miles to get back there. Just anything that's going to deter other people. Um, and then obviously I always look at certain public areas and I always do a Google search of areas. If I can find any sort of information on that spot on threads or anything like that for the most part i stay away i try to find places that nobody knows about because they're going to have generally the same size deer in the state as every other public area it's just they're less known like for ohio for instance we have the wayne national forest well it's a ridiculous amount of land but it gets hunted really hard because everybody can google the wayne national forest or we have we have dillon wildlife area which 
you know, I went up there just because it was, it was wet and there was water access and things like that. But you can find a lot of information on that online. That place is hammered. I went in and within 45 minutes of being there, I'll never step foot on Dylan again. So a lot of it, a lot of it has to do with, like I said, the Google searches, the access. And then once I get through that is when I'll actually pay attention to my topos, my aerials, things like that. But my number one opponent is always going to be other hunters. I mean, there's that, that is a huge thing because, you know, if you have, if it's getting hunted hard, you're not going to have a ton of mature deer in that area. Yeah. Yeah. Man, I'm, think that's crazy because i mean i know that's to me i think that's that's definitely the biggest factor especially for you know mature buck um is hunters but because i because i hunt you know turkeys a lot on public um i find it not that i guess what's the word i'm looking for it doesn't. I don't think hunting pressure hurts turkeys as much as it does deer. Just based off I, of what I've seen. Yeah, that's pretty crazy too. Because I mean, for me, you would think with those birds firing up in the morning, if there was guys around, it would almost be competition. But maybe you guys have a really good. You have a pretty good turkey population down there. Oh yeah, I mean it's pretty. Now we're nothing like you know. I think Midwest. Is, definitely got us beat but as far as numbers but um well i mean we're it, we do pretty good awesome it's, um, yeah go ahead oh i was just gonna say another part of that whole pressure thing i think you know I, I don't i think maybe why the turkey pressure isn't as important or vital is because they really to me they have one good sense you know their their biggest sense hands down is always their sight where with deer, they have the ability to smell everything around and that, you know, if one person walks through in public land, walks on a ridge and they're somewhere they shouldn't be, you know, they're off the main trail, mature deer are going to pick up on that and they're going to avoid that area a little bit. And then if that keeps happening over and over, they're going to move their areas. So I think that, you know, scent can stay out for, they've done research for a week, two weeks, you're, you're, Right. Scent can stay on the ground or on the trees that you're touching or a camera or stuff like that. So that that might have a lot to do with it. Yes, but especially if you don't get any rain. Yeah, exactly. That's yeah, if it's a dry year and there's a decent amount of hunter pressure, you're probably gonna gonna struggle finding mature deer. Oh yeah. Yeah, and like it just it just blows my mind that it turkey hunting shouldn't be I'm not saying it's easy, but it, sometimes it shouldn't be as easy as it is. It, it doesn't make sense that it's as easy as it is. <laughs> yeah, anyway. I, some, um, yeah, same thing up here. Every once in a while, you'll go out, and it'll be one of those, like, 40-degree crisp mornings where you can hear a gobble for, you know, five, six ridges, and you'll strike up a hen call, and that thing will just start, I mean, they'll just fire up and start running in. But other times, you know, I've I've spent weeks chasing them around, and not killed one too. So, oh yeah, yeah. And I mean, to compare, I guess to compare it, I don't know. Maybe like, I mean, I know there's been several times. Just there's like one time, I think it was last year, I was going to a piece of public, and I was headed there, like driving to it, and you know, a buddy of mine called me, and he said, "Hey, are you going hunting?" Yeah, he's like you're going up. You know, you're going up there to hunt such and such. And I was like, Yeah, I'm about to pull in. And he's like, Oh, well, you know, buddy of mine just called me and he said he just left. And he that's why he he said I figured you were going because he saw you. And uh, he said he just left him out there. He didn't even hear a single turkey. I was like, Okay. <laughs> and uh, I went in there and within five minutes got on bird. Like, yep. not too far from where I parked the truck at. So, there's, but that's, there's no way that you would, there's no way you would have that same type of scenario with a mature buck. Yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's, uh, it's going to be a little bit different. Yeah. 
Yeah. Um, now, hunting, hunting public, or I guess just hunting in general, private or public, um, is it like, see up there, I think you look more for, I guess, ag, you know, ags and ag and stuff like that. And of course they hit, you know, acorns, mash crop and stuff like that, but, um, do you ever see deer kind of not go to ag and stay more on acorns? Yeah, that's a good question. Honestly, uh, I, as far as New York goes, I don't see a lot of, you know, like early September before season opens off, the mature bucks are hitting the fields pretty good. You can go around before dark and see, see some pretty decent deer, you know, three-year-olds, which around here, a three-year-old is, a really mature deer. Um, but as soon as season starts and there's any pressure at all, for the most part, they just stay away from those fields and ag until dark. So I've had, I've had a lot of good success with even browse in general, you know, just any sort of browse in the woods and those swamps and stuff like that. But acorns are always huge. Um, if you can find a destination food source, like a white oak tree that's, that's in the process of dropping and, find hot sign near that you're i mean if you set up on that it's it's going to be a heck of a hunt for you i can almost guarantee it yeah that's the main reason i ask is you know because down here especially like my neck of the woods kind of where i live and i pretty much hunt pretty close to the house most of the time it's we don't really have ag like i mean that's kind of what we're it's kind of what makes it tougher hunting down here is, you know, you have to find where the, you know, where that mass crop's dropping. And you've got just an endless sea of timber. So it could be pretty tough finding that one white oak, you know, that's dropping. Yeah, um, yeah. And, uh, I mean, my, my biggest, I guess, piece of advice for something like that that I've had really good success with because, same thing you get in those big tracks in ohio that are eight thousand twenty thousand acres pretty much every tree in there is an oak tree and it's dropping so i think that it's really important to correlate a food source with bedding if you can find a hot food source that's within a hundred yards of a mature bed that you've either pre-scouted or you can look on a map and say hey he's going to be here i think that that's kind of one of those hot spots that you're going to have good luck with yeah i agree and I think, <clears throat> I guess to maybe round it up, and as we've kind of been talking about, you know, hunting south and hunting Ohio and New York and everything, but I think kind of to round it up, it's like, it's pretty much the same. I mean, there's differences, and the deer are a little bit harder to find here because I think they're more spread out i think there's just as big deer here as there is anywhere yeah they're just they're just more spread out and but it still comes back to edge and those transition areas like that's that's where they're going to be whether it's yeah georgia uh, iowa ohio it doesn't matter i think that's the that's the biggest thing yep 100 percent. i couldn't agree more um from basically every place that I've hunted. And it's it's beyond whitetail too. I mean even with elk with with pretty much anything, it seems like those transitions in general, any sort of hard transition is gonna gonna just hold a lot more deer and, and they feel more comfortable. Yeah. Turkeys too. Yeah, turkeys you're right. Turkeys are the same way. Yeah. Well Jake, I um I think we can Podcast right there, man. Awesome. Um, yeah, I appreciate appreciate it. Heck yeah, man. I I really appreciate you coming on, and uh, I really like that story about that big buck. That was man, he's he's a giant. <laughs> yeah, I, I, thanks, man. Hey, you know what? It's one of those things too, where uh, man, you if you want to kill bigger deer or you want to be around bigger deer in general. I heard this from Cody DeQuisto, actually. I remember him saying, like, a lot of people 
you hear a lot of people complain like, well, I just don't have big deer in my area, but I want to kill big deer. And I remember him saying specifically, well, then, then fucking move. Go find big deer. And, you know, he's he's a real blunt, like, no bullshit guy. He's like, go find big deer. You know, if you know where a buck's bedded, like, if you know he's there, why isn't he dead? So I've kind of taken on some of the some of the bluntness of Cody, and it's like, you know what? I moved because I wanted to be around bigger deer in general. And New York has them, but you got to work a lot harder for them. And, you know, I kind of proved that this year. We're going down in Ohio. I had, I've never had a picture of a 160-inch deer on camera in New York in my life. And I've got, they run around like rabbits down there, it seems like. and you know, I know that I'm getting more mature and better with scouting and stuff too, but it's just, you know, sometimes it is a little bit about the area that you're in. And, uh, if you, if you want to kill bigger deer and you're, it means a lot to you, go find them, move or take vacation and go get them. You know, it's just another one of those things. Yeah. I mean, it's, it's really, you know, about priorities. You just gotta. Yeah. Exactly. Figure out if you really want to kill one, you can kill one. You, you, anybody, I think anybody can kill the biggest buck of their life if, if they really, really wanted to. Oh, 100%. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. Um, but yeah, man, I really appreciate you coming on and, uh, we'll have to do it again. Yeah, 100%. I, uh, I enjoyed it. Heck yeah, man.